great. I don't get that often. I might hang out here more often. Yeah, I'm a Wyoming guy. Uh, my grandparents had fur, Hall's Fur Shop down here in the corner of 43rd and Division a long time ago. It's been a while. My grandma died before I was born, so that's like 40-some years ago. But uh, my kids are the fifth generation of our family to call Wyoming home, so we are, we are indigenous. And Dave was right. We're like, we're like your family over there, so consider me your weird uncle that you're meeting for the first time. <laughs> I'll try not to swear too much this morning. <laughs> it is really good to be here. I, um, when I was in high school, uh, I was in a rock band, long hair, rock and roll band. And I used to come in here. This used to be Rit Drums, remember? Anybody remember that? I used to come and ogle guitars that were on these walls. Uh, more recently, I come around at night and I tag the back of the building. I hope that's cool. <laughs> I jest. I jest. I also heard a rumor that you guys like the Bible. So um, if you have Bibles, you can crack those open. I think you're going to put it up on the wall, too, maybe. Oh, even better. Okay. Uh, so if you have your Bible, if you could turn to um, 2 Corinthians. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to begin at verse uh, 14. And uh, I just ask you if you pray with me before I, I share God's word. Uh, Father in heaven, you are so good. You're so good to us. We thank you that you give us your word written uh, a couple thousand years ago in the case this morning, but eternal. Father, it's not just words on paper. It's not just ink on paper. We believe the author of uh, Hebrews, ultimately the Holy Spirit, but who who wrote that this word is alive, that it's living. This is a living, breathing word that I'm holding within me right now. Father, I pray that we'd use this this morning to pierce the hearts of men and women in this place. And to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit that it would start here and go to the ends of the earth. That we could hear it and learn to trust you more. That we could could read these words together and learn to see how good and great and glorious and gracious you truly are. Father, we thank you for your word. And I, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth are yours and not mine. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay. 2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we once concluded this, that that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you caught this phrase, but I really dig it. This ministry of reconciliation. I caught that when I was scanning through this scripture a while back, and it sort of hit me like lightning. 
this ministry of reconciliation. And it speaks to uh, a part of the gospel that kind of energizes me. We've been spending a lot of time within our little church around the corner um, trying to really, uh, we want to be about the the gospel. Okay, that might sound simple, like, duh, of course, that's what you want about. We want to be explicitly about and for and shaped by and fueled by the gospel. And so what we've done is we kind of came up with this this working uh, description of what the gospel means. Because I can say that and it could mean different things to different people. So we put it on our bulletin, it's on the website, everything we do. And so hang with me here. This is what I come up with. That God himself has come into creation to rescue and renew all of creation through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who came to seek and save sinners. Sinners like you, sinners like me. That God himself has come into creation to rescue and renew through the person and work of Jesus Christ who came to seek and save sinners. I like that because it gives us the big picture of the gospel, but it also gives us the individual picture, the 50,000 foot view that God made all things and he made it all good, that we sinned, Jesus' intervention was necessary. And then the last part, that now he sends us into the world, he gives us this great commission, he gives us his spirit to go do it, he gives us a mission, and then we get to be his exclusive agent of reconciliation in the world. That's our job. That's your job. So you wonder, is God just uh, sitting around in heaven thinking, all right, now let's uh, get this reconciliation work going. And he snaps his finger and it happens. No, he chose people to do that. And if you're wondering who it is, look to your right, look to your left. Because you're looking at him. You're in the presence of God's exclusive agent of reconciliation in this world, in this city. That's what you were saved for. And so I see this phrase, this, this ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. How cool is that? That we get to be participants in this gospel message. That he made us new for a reason. So that we could be the life of the world. Ambassadors of this message of reconciliation, the gospel. So when I see this phrase, it kind of gets my juices flowing. I really get excited about that. Let me change the directions a little bit. I told you a little bit about my church. Let me tell you a little bit about our family. Um, Jenny is my wife. We've been married 20 years this summer. We started dating, uh, we knew, knew each other since seventh grade at Newhall Junior High. We started dating our senior year. Uh, since then, God's blessed us with Lucy, who's going to be in junior high next year, Wyatt, and Carson. We're also foster parents. We've had one foster child, and we're waiting another placement. But we have this uh, other member of our family who's a little furry, um, and Minnow is a miniature Australian shepherd. I'd, I'd throw her beautiful face up there, but I didn't plan well enough to give you that picture. Minnow is, um, she's great. I love her. Uh, she, we're in the same pack. I'm not sure if she knows, I'm not sure if she thinks that we're in her pack or if, uh, um, if we're in her pack or if she's in our pack, but for some reason we're in the same pack. She seems to dig us, okay, except when you open the door and she runs. <laughs> but she really seems to dig us. We're in the same pack. I know what Minnow appreciates most in the world. I know I like to think that she digs me. She digs our family. I know what she really appreciates. Because it's funny, at dinner, as we eat dinner, uh, I, we always sit in the same spots. And at any given moment while we're eating, you know where to find Minnow. I know exactly where she's going to be. And she's sitting right next to Wyatt. Okay? 
to get to know our family a little bit. Why it's a big softy. Okay, he can't say no. He sees those big brown eyes looking up at him. And he's always giving her food. He's feeding Minnow. None of us do that. I don't feed Minnow. Jenny doesn't feed Minnow. Lucy doesn't feed Minnow. Carson doesn't feed Minnow. Devin didn't feed Minnow. Wyatt feeds Minnow. And if you have a dog or any animal, you know how powerful food is, right? When she does shoot out that front door, I have to get a little piece of cheese or some little dog bone or something. That's the only way she's going to come back. You know, they have their whole little lives around this routine of feeding, right? Food is very powerful to them. And I know what, what Minnow treasures by seeing where she is and what she's doing at any given time. I know how much Minnow treasures food because where does she sit at, at dinner time? She's sitting where she's going to get her treasure. Jesus talks about the same thing. Okay, Minnow's not unique in all of creation in this way. He says that it appears a couple times in the Gospels where he says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what Minnow treasures the most. It's food. And you see how powerful that is over her based on where she is and on what she's doing. You know what controls Minnow based on where she is and what she's doing. Sitting at the table, waiting for her beloved food, her precious treasure, the food. And this Corinthian church that we're reading about this morning, they weren't a whole lot different. If you have any uh, people who are familiar with your Bibles here, you know that the, the church in Corinth, they had their issues. If you just read the next few chapters, you see that they had uh, problems with money and with power and authority and with sex. They had some real issues going on. The big three, right? Money, power, and sex. It's not, not really anything new. As long as we've been around, those have been tripping us up. But this particular issue was that they were being tripped up by these big three. And as you know... All three of those things are actually good things, right? Right? Money, sex, authority. Like, that's good stuff, right? Good gifts. Yes, you know those are good things, right? Yes, they're good things. They're good gifts from God that he gives to us. But the problem was this Corinthian church was taking these good gifts that God had given them, and they made those good gifts their treasure. They elevated gifts from being gifts to being False idols, gods, right? They took good things and turned them into God things. And how did Paul know that? How did, how did Paul know that they were doing this? Because, as we just read, he noted that this church was not participating in the ministry of reconciliation. He had to remind them that we as Christians ought to be controlled by what? the love of Christ. The love of Christ controls us as Christians because if that's happening, then we're going to be participating in this ministry of reconciliation. But Paul's seeing that that's not happening. They're not participating in this ministry of reconciliation. So that leads him to believe that they're not being controlled by Christ's love, are they? They're being controlled by something else. And as Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be. And so he could clearly say throughout the two letters that he wrote to Corinth, he could see what they treasured. What were they bickering about? What were they spending their time together talking about? What kinds of things were, were they 
were they spending their money on? What kinds of things were they spending their time doing? He saw that and he saw they weren't participating in the ministry of reconciliation. So he knew they had to be reminded of Christ's love. So they took these good gifts, which make good gifts, and they, but they make really bad gods. And Paul's a good pastor, so he calls it out. So that darn Corinthian church, weren't they messed up? Man, they were messed up. Okay, now turn the spotlight back to us. Okay? It's easy to look out, you know, use the Bible as binoculars. Turn the spotlight in. Paul's talking to us, too, in this message this morning. What is your treasure? What is your treasure? You don't need to answer that. To me, at least. Answer to yourself. What do you value most? What, what, what is it that, that you place in highest regard? What is ultimate in your life? What is that one thing that if it was taken away right now, you would be completely crushed? Think about it. And if you don't have anything coming to mind, go to those big three that we just talked about that the Corinthian church is looking at with your money. What gets first dibs on your money? How you spend your money is a theological statement, isn't it? Think about power or, or authority or um, any resources that you've been given. What, what do you do with that? What do you worry about? Um, when it comes to sex, I mean, yes, sex, but think of your body, the gifts that you've been given, your talents, your energy, your time, your geography, where you've been placed. Of any of those things, what are any of those something that you treasure? Think of your time. You want to know what you treasure? What gets primary real estate on your calendar? What has to be scheduled around? Think about that. What's the thing in your life that, no, you gotta, you got to work around this? There's a good chance that is your treasure because it's literally controlling what you do, isn't it? What's controlling you? You can figure out what controls you, what your treasure is, based on what you do and where you are at any given moment. So think about that. How is it? that we might have something in common with this Corinthian church where we have something, maybe even a good thing, that we've elevated from a gift to a God that we worship. Because if you think about it, when your mind wanders, you think about it, when, when you're giving your money to it, when you're giving your time to it, when you're using your energy to chase it and pursue it, folks, that's called worship. What gets your time and your money and your energy and your talent? What is it that keeps you awake at night? What are you wandering off and thinking about right now as I'm talking? It's a good chance you've got some treasure there. Something's going on in our hearts. And we're very similar to this Corinthian church. So there's two things here. Let's look at two things. Two things that Paul talks about. Two ways specifically how we get this wrong. First off, we talk about what controls us, specifically. And we talk about this ministry of reconciliation. So what controls us and what it ought to lead us to do. Let's spend a little bit of time looking at this. What is supposed to be our treasure? I'll let you answer now, out loud. 
What's supposed to be our treasure from this? Specifically, Christ's love for us, right? Like the gospel message. That's supposed to be our treasure. That's supposed to be what shapes us and inspires us. That's supposed to be what, what drives us as Christians, isn't it? That's where Paul starts. Christ's love, not our love for Christ, because that's spotty at best, isn't it? But his love for us, that is the fuel that we need. That is something that can control us. That's supposed to be our treasure, isn't it, as Christians? And even the best among us, maybe you guys are like super disciples, and you're like radical believers, and you're on fire, your life is a living sacrifice. That's great, that's awesome, I need to hang around with you some more. But if you're like me, even though you believe this gospel, and it's up here, there's often times that it moves from your heart back up to your head, right? Where we forget. We get forgetful of this gospel. So as I asked, I threw that out there, what is it that you treasure? Start thinking about it. How do you, what, what gets, has to be scheduled around in your life? Is it the kids' sports stuff? Maybe it's a sports league. You love your kids. Kids are good, right? It's a good gift. We want them to be successful and have fun. If you look at your calendar and you say, you know, I don't have any room in my life to actually spend time with my neighbor because I'm too busy carting my kids around from practice to practice, there's a good chance your treasure could be your little kids, right? I've had a chance to counsel people who have gone through loss or, 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 or divorce. And there's something different that happens when you're dealing with Christians because if Christ's love is our treasure, if something really good in our life is taken away, a Christian who treasures Christ's love isn't going to be just destroyed, right? Think of funerals for Christians. I've done funerals for Christians. I've done funerals for people who are not believers. A Christian funeral, I mean, it's a celebration of life, right? I mean, we, we shed a tear. Our heart breaks for the family, the people who are left behind, because we're going to miss them. But we know they're in a better place, right? We can actually say that, and it can be true. But when you do a funeral for a non-Christian, it's horrible. It's it's heart-wrenching to do that because I can't give them words to make them feel better. I share the gospel, but I don't know where they are. And if I know them, there's a good, looking for fruit, there's a good chance I do know where they are. But you see the family at that type of a funeral, and they are often just completely distraught. They have no hope. So as a Christian, if Christ's love is what we treasure, we have some sort of a peace that transcends understanding from the watching world, Right? So, you see the difference? The problem is, I often forget that gospel. I often forget that gospel. And sometimes you do too. And remember what Paul said. He says, like he knows knows what they treasure based on what they're doing. What do we treasure? Don't know? What are you doing? Look at your calendar. Look at your checkbook. And we can know what you worship. Okay? So, there's our little test. Where we... Too often, let the good gifts that we're given be elevated to God things, and they take control of our life. So that's the whole idea of Christ's love ought to be our treasure, how we get that wrong. Then look at the the fruit of that. What what controls you compels you to do certain things. So whatever you're worshiping, that's going to shape you and and send you and make you do certain stuff. Think of a radio-controlled car, right? That's what controls what happens with the car. So, So if Christ's love is controlling us, then the fruit of that, when we really believe the gospel, when the gospel shapes us and we're getting our identity from Christ, 
when, when we're trusting in the promises of God versus the lies that the world would tell us, the natural pathway of that is moving from your head believing it into your heart, and it changes you. There's no amount of effort on the part of any preacher to change you. That's Holy Spirit work. The gospel changes you. And if it's really taking root in your heart, we know it because there's evidence. There's fruit. The Spirit works through you and it goes to your hands. If you really believe the gospel, it will compel you to go out and to actually act and to do things differently. In my mind, we like to talk about discipleship as being head, heart, and hands. If one of those is missing, it doesn't seem to be working. If you don't, if you're not hearing, if you're not getting good doctrine, it's not going to make its way into your heart. If you're believing false versions of the gospel, it's not going to give you a new heart. And it's certainly not going to inspire you to go out and live a life of sacrifice and selflessness. So this idea of this ministry of reconciliation, if we're not being controlled by Christ's love, it's not going to get to our heart. It's not going to inspire us to go out and do this this, this beautiful act of being participants in what Christ is doing in the world. And Paul sees that. So we don't, we don't often, we don't remember the gospel. And, and if we do remember the gospel, are we always as faithful as we should be in actually acting out this ministry of reconciliation? I'd love to tell you that I do it all the time and get it right, but I do not. I'm pretty sure you're the same way I am. And Paul is a good pastor. He's a good pastor because he sees this sin and he's willing to call it out. Paul sees it and he addresses it in both letters. I think there were what? How many letters were there, Dave? Like five? I don't know. But like two of them made it to the New Testament, right? So the point is Paul was writing lots of letters to this church. It was a messed up church. Because Paul's a good pastor. He saw what was going on in their lives and he wasn't afraid to call it out and address it. That's what a good pastor does. He sees that they don't trust in the gospel, that they're not acting on the gospel, and he calls them out on it. But what does he do? He doesn't just say, stop doing all that. If anybody here is a recovering addict, you know it's not as easy to just stop doing it. You need to replace that thing you were doing with something better. So Paul doesn't just say, stop. He goes back and he reminds them. He reminds them of who God is. He reminds them who they are in Christ. Remember, this isn't a letter to pagan people, is it? This is a letter to the church at Corinth. He's writing a letter to Christian people who believe Jesus is who he says he is. And so he has to remind them of their faith. Remind them of what they confessed before the church. Remind them of what they believed when they were baptized. I'm thankful, too. After the service, we're doing some baby baptisms. Thanks for the sprinkling water. I appreciate that. Get a head start on Easter. You invite a Presbyterian in. It's going to happen. This is a letter to the church. And Paul's a good pastor, and he knew that they had forgotten the gospel. Just like you and I do. We believe it. You probably wouldn't be here. I don't know where you are, but I'm assuming you're here because you believe Jesus is who he says he is. We believe it, but we forget. And we need reminders. And Paul is reminding this church, based on what he sees them doing, he sees that they're treasuring something other than the gospel. So Paul's being a good pastor and reminding us of this. They needed a reminder, just like you and I do. 
They needed to be reminded that the truth of the gospel, that, that Jesus was in heaven. Heaven, no sin. Perfect. Think of being in the presence of the Father. Father, Son, Spirit, eternal, peaceful, love, right? That's where Jesus was. And he stepped out of that voluntarily. And he didn't go to some palace in the middle of nowhere. He stepped in to our reality. He stepped into, as what Eugene Peterson says, he moved into our neighborhood. He lived in proximity to us. They forgot this. They forgot that Jesus spent his entire life among us. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, sinless. And he came to hang out with people. He, he, he partied with people. He celebrated with people. But not just people. These were his enemies. These were enemies of God that he came to come and hang out with. These were people that hated him. Imagine that, the, the God of the universe stepping out of eternity into our reality and he can smell our sins. He never had a single conversation with a human being who wasn't his enemy, who wasn't a complete sinner separated from the Father. Can you imagine that? And he knew what he was stepping into and he did that. And then who did he go to the cross for? Those same enemies. You and I. He went to the cross for people who hated him. None of us deserved that, but he did it willingly. And then when he walked out of the tomb, we know that his sacrifice was accepted. That the Father said, yes. And then when we believe he is who he says he is, we get to be part of his new family. We're forgiven. We're made new. It says we're made new. We're new creations for a purpose of participating in a ministry of reconciliation, bringing the same message that we believe to the ends of the earth. And they forgot. They forgot the gospel. So Paul reminds them of exactly that. He reminds them that the old them is dead. All those old ways, those old patterns, those sinful behaviors, those things that were the fruit of believing that the gifts that they're given were God's and worthy of their worship. He's saying, why are you doing that? You don't need to do that anymore. You are now, you're made new. That's the old you. That old you is dead. So if you have forgotten that gospel, if maybe you haven't gotten it right, if you found that either money or time or, or or your family, or, or whatever it is that you have been worshiping, whatever it is that you've been treasuring above Christ's love for you and the church, it's okay. There's no condemnation in Christ. He's saying you just need to remember what you're doing when you're doing that is from your old ways. The old you, those are old patterns. You're a new creation. I love the, the, the picture of clothing that, that, that's used throughout the New Testament. You, you take all those old clothes, you got new clothes. Those stinky clothes you're putting on, they smell like death. And You're just putting on those clothes again. What are you doing? You're a new creation, created to be a participant in this ministry of reconciliation. We need to be reminded of that. Because too often we go back to those old clothes, don't we? And we all walk around carrying this identity as something that's dead. And we become these like zombie Christians. Zombie Christians are not going to be agents of reconciliation in this world. 
That's why Paul is calling them out on this. He's saying, why are you dressing up like an old dead thing when you have this gift, this message, and this ministry waiting for you? He's reminding them of that. I hope you're not hearing me say this morning, go and do. Okay? You could easily read these words and say, oh, okay. Um, I'm supposed to be part of this, the life of the church, right? The ministry of reconciliation. I, 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 that, to me, that's another way of saying the life of the church, right? That's being involved in the life of the church. Because we are his exclusive agent of reconciliation. So if you're participating in that, you're, you're participating in the life of the church. What is the, what is the mission of the church? I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's about creating disciples who create disciples. Am I right? Yes? Okay, good. I hope that's your mission, too. Then I'm in, that's good. That's the mission. Of the, that disciples are being created. That's what this ministry of reconciliation is. That you're, The front end of discipleship is evangelism, right? So people, you're, you're, you're meeting new people. You're sharing this message. That you're a disciple. That you're being discipled. That you're discipling somebody else. That's sort of assumed. That's the mission of the church. So that's this ministry of reconciliation. That's what it looks like. And it's easy for us as good church people to say, I'm going to throw myself into that. I'm going to do that. Yes, sign me up. I want to be a volunteer. And you can quickly say, okay, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. And dang, nobody ever thanks me for it. I show up and do the sound every Sunday and nobody pats me on the back. You know, I help out with the kids and I'm changing dirty diapers. Dang, nobody ever thanks me. I'm not appreciated. What's your motivation there? Is it Christ's love? Or is it recognition from other people? Is it to be thought of highly? You get a glimpse there of how quickly we forget that Christ's love should be our treasure, not the love of other people or esteem from other people. See how quickly it creeps in? So if you hear me say, go and do, throw yourself in the life of the church, that's not the message. That's not what the scripture tells us. But church people, we are good at that. We say, well, I just need to go do some stuff. No, the message is not go and do. The message is remember and be reconciled. The message is the gospel. The answer to being forgetful. The answer, the answer to our, our problem of, of letting other things control us is not just stop doing that, but to replace that with something better. Christ's love. Paul's reminding them of the gospel. You need that. The Corinthian church needs that. I need that. We need to be reminded of that gospel message. And it seems maybe really simple, and maybe you wanted five points where you could walk out of here and say, okay, I'm going to have a better marriage after this. And that might be true. But the prescription is the gospel. That's Paul's message. He sees this mess. He sees what they're doing. He sees what they're supposed to be doing. And what does he remind them of? Christ's love. You need to be reminded of that today. I know I do. Because this city is not going to be changed by a bunch of zombie Christians. This city is going to be changed by Christians who have been reconciled and who are being reconciled, who believe the gospel. Not people working out of duty, but people who are on fire, letting the Spirit work through them because their treasure, that which they value most, Christ's love. And I pray that is your treasure. Would you pray with me?